Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 104 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 10th. 2010. We got a lot to talk about this week on the podcast. Lots of recruiting to get to. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez for an extended period of time talking about the recruiting class. We've got Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment as always. We're going to talk recruiting, Pac-10 expansion. We've got Brian Fisher. Uh, he's a uh, continuous contributor to the site. He'll be talking about the USC team. He's been down at all the off-season workouts, so we're going to talk to him a little bit later. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address and like i said we have in the first segment coach harvey hyde coach what's going on how are you well buddy uh busy time of the year super bowl national letter of intent it all happened in one week and i'll tell you it was exciting uh we didn't have a chance to do our segment last week because you were wrapped up down in all the press conferences and following all the resignees and all of this and that but We've got time to make it up, and here we now uh, are fresh, ready to go into the new season. Fresh and ready to go, Coach. And, yeah, I apologize. Last week we did our little remote show um, from a Gift Horse, one of the users on the Peristyle. They had a letter of intent day party, so we did the show live, you know, quote-unquote live from there. We recorded it live and then put it right up on the Internet. I think it was a lot of fun. Um, but we didn't get to talk to you, Coach, and that's what we want to do, talking about this class. we got some questions to get to. We're going to talk about Pac-10 expansion. But before we do that, just wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. Uh, they are nice enough to sponsor us each and every week. The first segment of the Peristyle Podcast, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. If you need any tickets, go where we go, sctickets.com. And Coach, I don't know, I guess we can start off with this recruiting class. I mean, you look back, uh, kind of a, a quick finish for this staff. I mean, there was uh, some last minute guys that got signed in a lot of surprises, a lot of drama. What were your overall thoughts on this class coming in? Well, you know, uh, I think it was a great class. I really do, you know, sort of, uh, not much celebration for a class that's ranked number one by rivals. I don't hear a lot of people really celebrating and feeling good about it, but it was a great class. It was a great class. You got some great players. I think everyone always, looks to say, oh, we need to, needed more offensive linemen or we needed linebackers or we needed defensive linemen. Well, you need those every year. It's just that this year was a, a year with great skilled players, and USC certainly got some great skilled players, and, and I think uh, got some very uh, explosive players, players that can make plays. And I really think that the cupboards aren't bare in those areas where it was a drastic need as far as offensive line. There's some young freshman players that are great players. There's some defensive line players that will step up and play at a different level now and some great defensive ends with Coach Orgeron coaching the defensive line. And the linebackers are a little thin, but I think they'll move people around and they'll run the, the type of defenses that protect the linebackers, which will allow them to make plays and won't put them in a situation where they're out physical. 
And that's all because of Monty Kiffin. He'll make sure that those linebackers are protected. He'll make sure that they make plays. He won't put them in many situations, I believe, where they have to take on a, a guy that's three times their size and, and block a gap or a hole when someone uh, can fill that gap for them and they can slide over and pick up something else. So I think overall it was a great class. I think there were two great players in America, one being Powell, the young kid that went to uh, Florida. I think he's uh, going to be uh, one of these impact players that can play any position he wants and be an All-American at it. I mean, typically, I don't mean any player. I'm talking about he could be a defensive end, he could be a linebacker, he could be a tight end, he could play any type of position. And I think the other one USC got. A lot of people don't really realize what type of player Robert Woods is. I'll tell you, he's a guy that jumps off the screen at you. He's a guy that makes big plays. Uh, I think he's going to be a freshman that contributes immediately. You know, in the past, you've never heard me say, oh, this freshman's going to come in and make an impact. This freshman can come in and make an impact. I know there are other great freshmen who came in, you know, uh, uh, Dylan Baxter and all of these guys. But I'm telling you, Woods is an impact player. He is going to be able to run back punts. He'll do kickoffs. He'll be able to play receiver. He'll run the screens. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see him be a starter because I don't think Lane Kiffin and the offensive staff now at USC worries about how many years you've been in the program. Everyone is going to have an opportunity to play and play young. In Pete Carroll's scheme, you couldn't play much as a freshman. If you're a receiver, you're still learning the system and so on. I think a freshman can learn a system. I think a freshman can really contribute to uh, an offense or a defense. So I look for Woods to, to be a great player. I'm not saying that some of these other players aren't great players. But I would say of all the players I saw nationally, Powell from Moreno Valley, who the Trojans came very close in getting, and Robert Woods from Southern California here in Gardena, California, is the two top players in America. And that's my opinion. Now, there are other great players, but I think these are impact players. It's hard to disagree with you on those guys, Coach. I got to see Robert Woods quite a bit, a little bit more than Powell. Like Powell would tear it up at every camp and combine we'd go to, and Woods just was explosive and his uh, teammate, George Farmer, is going to be another top receiver in this class of 2011. We're, we'll get to all that in future podcasts because there's a lot of guys to, to look out for. We uh, put up our target list for the class of 2011 offense and defense up on uscfootball.com. You can check that stuff out later. But, yeah, some great great talent in this coaching class, I mean, this recruiting class, Coach. Um, but we do have some questions and uh, not necessarily pertaining. You know, remember, remember, excuse me, oh, five, five stars. Yeah. Five five stars now that's impact players as far as rating you know services uh as far as five stars now you know of course that doesn't mean they're all going to be all americans and this and that but as far as their high school rating five five stars more than any other university in the country yeah and that's why rivals had them ranked number one different services had them you know top five top six stuff like that but uh just the way that the kiffin and company kind of closed out the class you just have to be impressed with that they kept just about everybody that was on the roster, that was on the committed list when Pete Carroll left. It was a chore to just get some of those guys to, to buy in again because Pete Carroll has been so beloved around this university for so long. So it was, a, it was a win to get the guys to stay committed and then a win to get some of these other guys over the top and put them over the top as far as rankings go. Now, now let me just mention this too since we touched on recruiting. Now, you know, I know you don't want to talk about it. But I think an area of concern that wasn't addressed, and I hope it's addressed here during some part of the offseason, 
is a kicking game as far as field goal kicking, kickoffing, kickoff punting. And so and you can't win a national championship unless you have a guy that once you cross the 40-yard line, the defense knows they're going to score. They're going to get three points. They lack that this year. Not saying anything against any of the players, but they lack that. When Beeler was at SC, that's why the Dallas Cowboys drafted him just to kick off. There was no runbacks. You knew where – you could even have to send – I would have just sent him on the field, let him kick off, let the other ten guys rest. <laughs> I tell you, you know, you're really, you don't have to worry about special teams kickoff coverage. You let Beeler go out, kick it off, kick it out of the end zone, and that's it. Defense goes on. They know where they go. They're going to the 20-yard line. You've got to be able to have that type of impact kicker. And I hope that's something they address as far as in their field goal kicking department and also their punting department and uh, get that wrapped up. And then – now you can play for a national championship because it put so much stress on the defense when they know you have that type of kicker. Hey, I agree with you 100%, Coach. We have a question for Gerard a little bit later on the show about uh, Kiffin losing out on Matt Darr. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't really the right situation for him. He was a punter. But I think that's going to be a, a major area of concern coming in this class of trying to get one of those all-around kicker guys that can just be a weapon on special teams. He can punt, kick, kick off, or at least someone that, do, someone that does at least one of those aspects of the kicking game well. Because until you get that, I mean, there's going to be questions on special teams. And, uh, you know, just trying to build this team back up, you know, if you're, if you're losing on special teams, that's one-third of the game. And it's just not going to bode well as far as wins go. I agree 100%, and I think that's one area now they have to address. They have the personnel to play special teams. They just have to have the, the person to do the kicking. And uh, if you have to use two scholarships, you use two scholarships because these guys win and lose for you. You've got guys standing on the sideline that don't even play. These guys you hope play, and you hope your kickoff guy plays a lot. And you hope yeah. your field goal <laughs> guy plays a lot, don't you? That is true. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you, so you better have one that can do it. Very, very true, Coach. Well, let's get to some of these questions. Um, David is concerned. He's a question for you, Coach. He's really concerned about Coach Lane Kiffin. Not so much that they lost the number one punter in the country. We just mentioned Matt Darr or giving scholarships to 13-year-old boys. But he has a problem with his general demeanor when speaking to the press. Are you concerned that Lane Kiffin's arrogance will have a negative effect on the program? And so David's assuming that the way uh, Kiffin has addressed the media is arrogance. I don't necessarily agree with that, but just maybe get your thoughts on the way kind of Kiffin does that, the way he talks to the media. It's certainly different than the way Pete Carroll did. Well, you remember, everybody's different. And you, you one thing you do, you don't change when you get somewhere. You never change uh, what got you there. And, you know, I don't know if he's got an arrogance. You know, everybody's different. I, I don't know him personally that well. When I get to meet him more, I'll understand him and, and so on. But it's very difficult to, to follow uh, Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete Carroll would walk around halls kissing babies, okay? And everybody wanted to take a picture, and he'd never pass by an autograph. And it was always around the camera and, and smiling and a good-looking guy. Not that Lane Kiffin isn't a good-looking guy. But everybody's personality is different. And you've got to give people a chance. But some people can't express themselves the same way others can. Some are quiet. Some lead in a different manner. Some are qu- uh, quiet leaders. Randall Cunningham wasn't who played for me a, a guy, a raw-raw guy. Peyton Manning's not a raw-raw guy. I mean, there's different type of leadership that every individual has when you're a winner. Now, he's still a young kid. He's going to grow up. And the press, just because they're not 
you know, thinking he's a, a flamboyant, uh, you know, kidding with them and, and this and that. It doesn't mean that he's arrogant. It just means his personality is different than some people. So you've got to really look at it that way. and You've got to give him a chance. I mean, I don't know what my personality would be like with the media in L.A. If at my first press conference with my kids there and my wife there, that people started drilling me, just drilling me when I'd been up all night flying across country to be there on who I am, why I'm there, do I feel bad I left Tennessee, uh, why was I recruiting some of the players at US, or that Tennessee uh, had already committed when I'm at USC, which means they didn't break any rules. They didn't break any rules. Everybody thinks they broke a rule. You know, the kids hadn't signed. They might have verbally committed. And then being drilled on some of the past experiences he had with the Raiders and with Tennessee and the Urban Meyer comment and this and that and so on. I don't think that's the way you graciously welcome somebody to a new coaching position. I think you could give them an opportunity to uh, say, hi, I'm here, guys. It's great to be back home. Uh, you know, give a little of a dialogue on what, what he's thinking about and then ask him some questions. Are you going to run the same offense, the same defense? What are you going to do about your staff, this and that? Hey, I didn't. I don't remember any of those questions. It was all drilled at him. So you know, you know that's sort of intimidating when you're there in your first press conference and everybody's talking negative rather than positive. But I think that he'll grow up. I think he's got a supporting cast around him so far. That is going to be a great coaching staff. It's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of experience. You've got Orgeron now, who's been a head coach, who will help him, and a great defensive line coach. You've got his dad there, who's been on every level, and a very respected coach. He's brought two coaches, at least from Tennessee, who proved that they can recruit, and that's number one. They can recruit, and also they can coach. So, you know, uh, let's give him a chance. And, and that word arrogance is a word that people shouldn't use until you get to know someone. The guy got the guy's got to have a chance to understand that everyone's not going to be like someone else. Maybe he's not emotional. Maybe he doesn't speak at different tones. His tone is always the same, if you notice, when he speaks. And sometimes aren't really uh, great speakers, but they are great coaches. But he seems to know how to recruit, and I think that's what counts. I agree with you 100%, Coach. you got to definitely give him a chance. I, was, I really liked Lane when he was here the last time. I know that a lot of the fans had some issues with, uh, with Lane Kiffin when he was here, and I think there was a lot of uh, aspects of the whole chow leaving and stuff like that. But I, I really think that this staff coming in has especially short-term potential to do some really great things. I mean, they're not coming into a situation where the cupboard was bare like it was at Tennessee or, you know, for the most part. It just wasn't the same kind of talent. You had, you had some talent, but not the same way um, that you have at USC. I mean, there's a lot of defense, there's a lot of defensive offensive talent on this team. And I think Lane Kiffin and the staff really has everyone motivated right now. Nick, you could see a pretty amazing season next year. It just, it'll, I think it was going to be a whole different situation than what he went to in Tennessee. I agree with you, but you don't want to build it up where it's going to be. Everyone's talking about, yeah, we're going to be back. We're going to win 11 games. We're going to win 10 games. Hey, that's, that's difficult to do. I'll tell you, he's got a great staff and so on, but it's a little bit different of an era. When Pete Carroll came to USC, the Pac-10 wasn't what it is today. Hey, the entire Pac-10 had great recruiting classes. Look in the top 25 in the country, you'll see four or five or maybe even six of the Pac-10 teams ranked in the top 25 in recruiting. 
So USC has brought the Pac-10 up in level of competition and player-wise. They know they have to have players, too, and they've got to find them no matter where they are if they're going to play with USC. You don't out-coach people today. You've got to have great players, and if you're equal, then you have a chance maybe to out-coach people. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult. And can someone do what Pete Carroll did, all those 11 win seasons and so on? I hardly believe that in a different situation like it is today. But can he go to the Rose Bowl? Can he win 10 games? Can he win a national championship every couple of years? Sure, it's all possible. So, you know, we can't make the expectations so high that if you lose a couple of games, that all of a sudden it's a bad season. It's not a bad season to go 10-2 and two or 9-3 and three and go to the Rose Bowl or go to a BCS Bowl game. It's a great season. So you've got to keep it in perspective on exactly what's going on because I'll tell you, the, the teams they play in conference now are good, and they all are still going after one team, USC. So, you know, it's exciting to be in that position. Don't get me wrong. It's exciting to say, hey, you've got to beat USC if you're going to go to the Rose Bowl. And that's what everybody says. Now, Oregon's got 18 starters back. Sure, you've got to beat Oregon. But you know who you still have to beat? USC. <laughs> good, good point, Coach. All right, well, we have a question from Kevin. Uh, who do you think will be the more capable starter, Bryce Butler or David Osbury? Capable starter? Yeah, that's coming up. I mean, obviously, you got to replace Damian Williams. Which one do you think will come in and be well, more I capable would, of starting? Yeah. I would say Butler would probably be the most well-rounded one uh, as far as speed, combination of hands, uh, big target. Um, Osbury is, is big and so on. But me, he reminds me of an H-back. Uh, or a guy that uh, is another, you know, a, a blocker and then a receiver, like a tight end, like a Fred Davis was and so on. He's really big. I think he's a step slow to be a great outside receiver. Today, if you don't have great team speed out there, you know, they just put one guy on you and they just cover you. They've, you've got to demand double coverage at times and so on. And I don't think Osbury does that size-wise. Yes, he's bigger than most DBs, but – He's a step slow as far as beating people on the deep route and so on. So, and, uh, you know, I think he's a great player, but his future is not a receiver. His future at SC and his future in the NFL, if he's going to play on Sunday, he's got to be an inside slot guy, an H-back like David Thomas. Remember David Thomas that played for Texas? Yeah. You saw him play. Yeah, he, he's got to be like that, but he's bigger than David Thomas. He's got to work on his hands. He's got to run those inside curl routes. He's got to be able to block, chip off, and run in the flat. He's got to be a motion guy that comes back and still blocks. That's where his future is. His future, I believe, is not as a receiver, but as a tight end, slot back, H-back, that type of back that you would use. Instead of a full back, you have a big receiver in the game that can do the same type of blocking that a full back does, but also be a great receiver. You know, I agree with you, Coach, and I think uh, right now Bryce Butler's uh, penciled in on the uh, the two deep there, and, and Osbury's right behind him. But with Lane Kiffin having worked with so many receivers and so many receivers coming in in this recruiting class, I think in the fall there's going to be a major battle, and uh, you're not going to have anyone that's been pigeonholed from the last staff where you just think, 
you know, this is the role this guy's going to play. I think people are going to have opportunities to show what they can do. And, you know, maybe a guy like David Osbury is able to, to show something, show some flashes and, and the coaches notice something. I don't know. It's hard to say, but I think you're going to see things open up quite a bit. And, you know, you know, Ronald Johnson established himself as, as being a really good receiver. We'll see. He's going to have to keep proving himself to this new staff. I think that's why this spring and, of course, fall camp will be so exciting because there'll be some position battles you thought might be over that are, are going to get, you know, re-energized and restart again. And maybe someone that comes up, you know, a, a Devon Flournoy or someone that wasn't really getting playing time jumps ahead of some other guys. So I, th- I think that's the potential there for some surprise players coming in and contributing is really exciting. I agree with you because other coaches, uh, different staffs evaluate players differently. And, uh, you know, in some situations, some players just don't get along with their coaches and just don't play or just don't motivate themselves to play. Now they've all got that opportunity or they don't have a label that they're lazy or they can't catch the ball or whatever the problem might have been that they didn't play. But all of the players that are on the USC current roster are all all everything. So they're all come in with the, with the five-star, four-star label. Now, can they live up to that expectation? They better, but they compete against the same type. So, you know, they all have an opportunity, and I agree. There's some great players that I wondered why I didn't play. But I think people, what happens, you've got to become a complete player. You've got to be able to block if you're a receiver. You've got to be able to catch the ball when you get it as a receiver. You've got to be able to run the right routes. Plus, you've got to be given the opportunity to run the right routes against certain coverages, and you've got to learn to read those coverages. So there's some kids that have difficulty in some of those or all of the above. So they all have to be able to fit into the schemes of what's going on. Offensively, I think what they need to do is the offensive line's got to get tougher. The receivers have got to compete. The running backs, they've got to find out who the running backs are going to be. And they got to play one or two running backs. They can't continue the, the circus that goes on in the backfield. And, they, and if somebody gets hurt, the next person's got to step up. You've got to say, this is our guy, and this is the guy we're going with, and the others then are there waiting their turn. They've got a great freshman running back in D.J. Morgan, who I think is a home run guy, can do as much as anyone I've seen in high school as far as team speed. He's coming in with a bad knee. If you could redshirt him, I would redshirt him and let nothing happen to him. But there's ample backs that are in school right now. So why take a chance? Why throw him in the mix and take a chance and get him hurt? You've got Mark Tyler. Mark Tyler was as good a running back that ever came out of Southern California. I thought he was the best I've seen for a long time, but he's been injured and never had his chance. You've got Tyler McNeil. You've got Bradford. I think you've got Gable. I mean, you've got – that's enough. Let him compete. Find out who the guy is and let him go for it. Okay, Coach. And we got one last question from Scott. It's about Monty Kiffin's defense. And from, Scott says, from the way he understands it, uh, the Tampa 2, usually you place a premium on speed. Uh, a lot of times it's fast guys that aren't necessarily big. How is it different for Pete Carroll's defense, who they seem to have a lot of big players like Maluga and Mays playing positions? Um, and how different do you think Monty's defense will be going forward? Well, I don't know how much different it really is. I mean, Pete Carroll was a student of Monty Giffen. So I don't know how much different it really is, and I haven't had a chance to really watch it that closely. I didn't watch Tennessee play that much last year. 
and uh, and I haven't studied his defense, but I would think they're all somewhat the same in the four three, and they're all pro uh, scheme wise. So I'll have to see exactly what he's doing that's different. Uh, so you know, speed speed is the name of the game on defense. You know, you're always right when you make the play. And if you can run on defense like you watch great teams run on defense, like Florida's defense runs and, and these teams that play great defense that run all over the field and make plays, hey, speed is the name. You can't be slow and play on defense. You go to the offensive line. And you can't be really that slow there anymore either unless you have great technique because the defense, uh, defensive guys are so fast, you can't get out of your stance to block them. So, you know, size and speed – is the name of defense today. The defensive linemen, now, of course, some of the defensive tackles, they're there to hold their ground and have a push on the rush and so on and take care of that area. But you got to run. Linebackers got to run. Defensive ends have got to run. Secondary have got to run. you all got to run and cover and make plays. I think that one thing that you'll see probably with Monty Kiffin's defense, you'll see a different toughness. Last year I didn't see a real toughness in the USC defense like I've seen in the past. What I mean, smack you. Yeah, they got unnecessary penalties, but that was uh, penalties for personal fouls. That was stupid. I mean, I'm talking about hit hitting people in the secondary. I'm talking about when the guy makes a catch, he is punished. He's not sure if he wants to make another catch. And you saw that uh, sometimes by other teams who the Trojans played, and I think that's what they have to breed into their defense, and I think Monty Kiffin will teach that. If you can't play that type of defense, I don't think you'll be on the field with Ed Orgeron, Joe Barry, or Monty Kiffin. You will not step on the field. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Well, it's, I'm really excited to see just because everyone's going to be energized, and I think the scheme-wise, you think you're going to see some fun stuff, some new wrinkles, so we'll have to see what happens there. But I know we're running a little long, but I wanted to get your thoughts real quick on uh, Pac-10 expansion. Um, there are some reports coming out that uh, Larry Scott was interested in, in making it a 12-team conference, and teams like Utah and uh, who else was that? Oh, yeah, Utah and oh, Colorado, two teams that were kind of mentioned uh, as expansion as expansion teams for the Pac-10. What do you what do you think about Pac-10 expansion? Are you for it, against it? What what up? Well, you know, it's uh, they haven't been in favor of it before, but they don't want to split the pot of the Rose Bowl. That means they got to split it two more ways. Uh, the BCS pots and so on and there are only two teams that can go to bcs games so really when you bring in two additional teams they got to bring something to the table they got to bring a viewing audience area for an area where you get more television you get more revenues you have huge stadiums where you where you get big crowds you can afford the guarantees all of the above and uh they're thinking of doing a lot with the pac-10 that was done with the with the big 10 and the southeastern conference what they did when they joined espn as far as for their games. Yes, the Pac-10 is behind time as far as marketing their conference. They really are. They don't have a championship game like the other teams' uh, conferences do. Uh, They're two teams short as far as what the other conferences have, except for the Big Ten, and they're going to pick up somebody, and they're going to start a championship game. There's so much revenue now in a championship game on the national television dollars for a championship game the Pac-10 needs to do this, and they're also exploring having their own affiliate Pac-10 network, like the Big Ten had. Now, to be able to have this and, and get on the cables and DirecTV and so on, you've got to have areas that people want to watch it. So you've got to expand your base 
to be able to sell the package. People in the East really don't want to watch the Pac-10 uh, network, but they do if you take the entire West. So Utah is one team they're talking about. I don't think so because I think the college presidents want somebody who fits in with their style of play. I think that the, the schools will be in the South. There will be two divisions, the North and South Division, if they do this, and I think they will. And that's why they brought in an expert and announced him yesterday, the ex-Big uh, Ten Network guy. He's going to head this up, who was a Big 12 uh, commissioner. Uh, I think what they'll do is they'll put SE, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, Cal and Stanford in the South. And in the North, they'll have Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, and then two new members. They'll put that in the North. Will it be BYU or Utah? I don't think so. I don't think so for several reasons. But I do think it'll be a possibility of Colorado, which expands him into the into the, the Midwest more, more of a region, larger universities, bigger alumni, older, and so on, uh, larger areas as far as marketing and so on in Denver and all that part of the country. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see them go after a Nebraska, uh, somebody that has a 70,000-seat stadium or 80,000-seat stadium, that will bring all of the Midwest and has a huge name, huge name, and maybe want want to make a move. Uh, you know, in the past they went after Texas and Texas A&M about 10 or 15 years ago, and neither one of them came. But that would have been a huge, huge thing for the Pac-10 too. So in expanding, you want to be in a marketing area. You want to have a traditional program. You want to be able to have huge stadiums. You want to be able to bring television revenue, and you want to be able to market it. So what they're trying to do is move east. They want to move to the Midwest. They want to move farther back. New Mexico, nothing there. Arizona, they've already got what they they cannot Arizona. Utah, well, I'm not quite sure. You've got Washington, Washington State up there. That's a monopoly in that area. So I would think they would move Next, which would be a Colorado University, not Colorado State, the University of Colorado, which could be like Cal, to the same entrance requirements, big university, excuse me, possibly in Nebraska or somebody like that. And the way they do that, they just offer them mucho bucks, okay? And and then uh, give them an opportunity, and Nebraska likes that. Why? They can recruit California better that way. You've got to be able to give them a reason why California kids want to go to Colorado or Nebraska because they have the opportunity of playing against teams from where they're from. So that's my reasoning. All right, Coach. Well, thanks. I'm sorry we went a little bit long on this segment, but so much to get to since we didn't get to talk to you last week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, plenty more to talk about in this offseason. We'll talk to you again next week. Ryan, thank you very much for having me. All right. Thanks to Southern California Tickets. Thanks to Coach Hyde. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Got a lot to get to with Gerard Martinez talking all kinds of USC recruiting. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. 
or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Let's talk a little recruiting. We got Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst on the line with us. Gerard, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? You know, can't complain. Everything's going well. Uh, we got to talk a little recruiting. Uh, we didn't get to talk to you last week on signing day because we did our uh, quote-unquote live broadcast from uh, Gift Horse's house. And that was pretty fun having the people on. But we didn't get to talk to you. I don't think I was able to connect in and dial in and stuff. And plus, it was signing day, so so much was going on. But have you got a chance to decompress a little bit? It was an absolutely crazy signing day. Not really. I mean, we're on with 2011, and we already got the 2011 target list hitting. Uh, we started in on our spotlight pieces for the 2011 class really uh, last month. So, you know, it just uh, it, it never stops. You know, we get back going on the bike and, and start riding hard again and, you know, try to figure out, you know, what this uh, new staff is going to do with uh, new offers and new recruits. And, um, you know, they seem excited. They're out there just uh, – it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, whether they're kids in California or kids, uh, you know, outside the state, um, states that are not necessarily, uh, you know, welcoming to USC in the past, like Alabama, they're going after them. And um, so, you know, we got to keep up. We've got to keep up with the coverage and keep bringing the people uh, the latest information. So, nope, it doesn't stop, man. It's, uh, it's just a constant uh, 24-7. Maybe in July when the coaches go on vacation, uh, we'll get a little break. <laughs> yeah, and there was already a 2011 commit, uh, Antoine Woods from, uh, St- from staff, Taft High School. Um, you know, the defensive tackle that seems to be a favorite of uh, Coach Orgeron. I know he could have been too happy about not getting the kind of numbers on the defensive line. It's something that Coach O seems to really enjoy recruiting. So getting that kid in early, uh, the staff must be pretty happy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is one of the guys that was dominant um, during the camp season. And, uh, you know, he's shown flashes. He's been sometimes inconsistent a little bit with the pads on, uh, but that's a kid that's, uh, you know, he needs a guy like Coach Ergeron uh, to be able to motivate him, and it's a kind of a perfect fit for him in terms of, uh, you know, getting the best potential out of him. You know, some kids, they have that motivation and they need the technique, you know, they need a teacher, and then there are other kids that just need that little swift kick in the butt uh, to really get the most out of him, and, and I think Antoine's one of those kids, you know, he's got to focus in the classroom, uh, he's got to get uh, a little better, um, whistle to whistle, and um, that's, you know, like I said, with Coach Ergeron, I think you get a guy who's got a lot of talent, just needs to be unlocked. You know, that light bulb needs to go off for him. And when it goes off for him, we've seen flashes of dominance. I mean, he's been a guy that uh, you can put over on the one shade, and he can dominate that center. He can dominate that gap um, in the one technique. And if you've got a kid uh, that, can, that can do that, that can really – control that initial surge in the middle of the offense it's really hard to have a running game and it's really hard to have a passing game too i mean you know the middle of the offense is really where you want to be dominant and you want to have some of your best players and uh getting a guy like that early in the process is it definitely you know gets this class started off on the right foot all right well that's 2011 there's going to be a lot going on you can check out uscfootball.com for all the latest up-to-date lists on all the juniors all the underclassmen that are out there but let's look back a little bit on 2010 and we got some some questions for you. The class still isn't quite done yet, so uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, we had a question from Scott. Uh, the, one of the guys that USC lost out on was the punter, Matt Darr, and he says uh, USC special teams were embarrassingly inept this year, 
At one point, Mitch Mustaine was the second-string punter. Any insight on what happened to Matt Darr, and is there uh, plans in place to bring another kicker or punter in? Well, what happened with Matt Darr was basically he came down on his official visit January 15th and got a feel for USC um, as a place to live. Uh, the campus, Los Angeles as a city, and more than just the school, but, you know, as a resident, what it would be like to live there and, and you know, to go from class to go to the store, going out to eat. And this is a kid from Bakersfield. A lot of people say, well, Bakersfield, you know, that's not too far from L.A., but Bakersfield is a world away from L.A. I mean, it's a different city. <laughs> Pretty different. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it, it's more of a town atmosphere, and I, I think just the pace of life and um, just the social aspects of Los Angeles just didn't go with Matt Dar. And I talked to his dad um, in depth just about his decision. It had nothing to do with the coaching staff. It had nothing to do with, you know, how they recruited him necessarily. Um, it, it really didn't have to do with any aspects of USC other than I think it just wasn't the right fit for him socially and, and just personally. You know, he wants to go uh, to a to a smaller college town atmosphere, and, you know, he has his big 4x4 that he drives around, which, you know, if you've ever tried to park at USC, a big 4x4 doesn't really go too well with those parking spaces. So um, that kind of stuff, it just clashed with him and his personality. And, you know, he went to Fresno State, and that's, um, you know, up there where he lives, and it's closer. And I think just, you know, in terms of having a, a good agricultural program that's amazing, that he's really focused on and really likes. And I think everything just kind of came together for him. And, and obviously, the change in coaching staff and not having a special teams coach, obviously that kind of opened the door and maybe gave him those second thoughts initially. But at the end of the day, it seemed like, you know, what really changed his mind was just, um, you know, Fresno State just being a better fit for what he wanted, um, just away from football, uh, most of all. So um, that kind of uh, it, it happened late in the year and it wasn't a lot of time to be able to come in and, and grab another great punter. Um, you know, can they get a prospect who's better? Not at this time. I mean, signing day is coming on and, you know, I'm not really up to date on the best punters in the country, but I would figure that probably most of the top guys have already signed and are going to college somewhere. But one unique aspect about special teams, and this goes on with kickers also, is that you do get transfers now and again. Uh, USC got a transfer from Jordan Congdon. Um, sometimes kids at the JC level are in weird spots where they can come in maybe late May um, and – you just never know what you're going to get. There's, there's a lot of guys that are qualified, and because a lot of scholarships don't go out to kickers, um, they could be in junior college, fully qualified player, and they could get out, you know, almost immediately when, you know, supposedly they weren't going to get out maybe until semester afterwards. So, you know, it's not, I, I don't think they're really panicking with that. There's a lot of options that could be out there. We just kind of have to wait and see. It obviously was a loss because Matt Darr is a great punter, and you really like great punters. They can be weapons. You know, they can really help your defense, and they can turn the field. Uh, but, you know, it was just one of those things where this staff hit the ground running. They had three weeks left, and they did a tremendous job of keeping the class together. And this one kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. But, again, you know, uh, talking to Matt Darr's dad and Matt Darr himself, it really wasn't about the coaching staff. It was just more about him kind of realizing that USC wasn't a good fit just for him, you know, and, and socially. Right, and it's major too. I mean, he didn't. Re they don't really have agricultural majors at USC. They do at Fresno State. That's what Matt Dar wanted to do. So it just seemed like be a better fit all overall for that. Uh, but thank you for that question. And we have one from Charles, all the way from Beijing, China. And that's kind of long. I'll kind of summarize what he had to say, Charles. But thank you for your question. Um, he wanted to know essentially 
Is there any way that Coach Carroll still helps out the current staff, Lane Kiffin, Monty Kiffin, Ed Orgeron, stuff like that, with recruiting? And since you know he would, Carroll would have had the initial contact with a lot of the players that Kiffin had to recruit for the class of 2010, and of course 2011 as well. Is there any way Pete can put in a good good word on behalf of USC, or is could Pete share things like this would be the best approach for this kid, like you know? I'll, his mom's a softy. You can tell her stuff about this, or I mean, any kind of ways that he can inform the staff to kind of help them as far as recruiting goes. He was just very curious because of the traditions of USC and recruiting, and how now it's one of Pete's guys coming in to take over. What different ways can, could and do, does Pete Carroll help out on the recruiting front? Well, recruiting has two facets to it. it there's the information evaluation facet of recruiting, and then there's the other part of the salesmanship part of recruiting. And salesmanship-wise, I don't think Pete Carroll will be very uh, involved with this past class. Um, to my knowledge, he didn't really contact or have any contact uh, with any of the current commits that they had at the 2010 class when it was announced that he was departing. Um, that was one of the main issues uh, with guys like Dylan Baxter and Kyle Prater is that they did not hear from Pete Carroll, and they felt uh, they took that a little personally, especially Dylan Baxter, who had been committed to the school for you know almost four years. He felt like he deserved a call from Pete Carroll and never really got it and kind of took that personally. Um, so that aspect of things, no, uh, I don't think Pete Carroll was really involved or, or really will be involved. Um, you know, I'm sure if he comes across uh, a family or a parent and, you know, talks about USC or, or knowing Lane, uh, may have some great things to say about him, but I don't think he's going to go out of his way to make phone calls. And, and quite frankly, I, I don't think, you know, the, the current staff really wants that. You know, there's one chef in the kitchen and, and they want their message to be heard and that needs to be the only message. Um, but in terms of information and evaluations, I'm sure – uh, you know, the, the former staff has seen a lot of these guys um, 2010, but even, go, even going into 2011 already, and they have evaluations on them. Obviously, those kids came to the camps. Uh, there's a lot of film. There's a lot of things that, uh, that are kind of transferred over to the new staff that, um, you know, they may need some context to. You know, they need to know, okay, was this film, when was this taken? Uh, was this at the camp? Uh, what did you think of this kid at the camp? He had good stats at the camp, but did he really follow it up? That kind of stuff, yeah, there's a lot of resource there with not only Pete Carroll, but the rest of the staff that was here and uh, any guys that, you know, had moved on. And obviously, Lane Kiffin is, is, is close with a lot of the guys that had been on the staff because he had known them from uh, being previously at USC. So, in that context, yeah, there's probably uh, a lot of information and, and a lot that can be um, used from Pete Carroll and, and Pete Carroll's former staff. But in terms of the salesmanship and, you know, Pete Carroll saying anything, it's probably more indirect. It's more talking about USC and saying good things about USC, and obviously that's uh, recruiting in and of itself. You know, if he says good things about USC and, and you know, talked about his time being at USC uh, – being really important in his life and, and talking about the aspects of the school, even though he's not there, that says a lot. And it's also true with the coaches that had moved on. I mean, I know that uh, uh, coaches like Pat Rule uh, had talked about USC and really not so much about the coaching staff and not so much about the people at USC, but the institution at USC and how great of a school it was. And I think a lot of that, you know, regardless of the coaches or whether they're there or not, still had a lot of sway with kids. Uh, you know, a guy like Chantrell Henderson. I mean, you have to think that uh, 
you know, Pat Rule recruiting him up to a certain point, said enough about USC that even though Pat Rule wasn't going to be there as a coach, uh, it still helped USC try to get uh, Sean Trill Henderson uh, at least his commitment at this point um, just because, you know, he built USC up to be this great school regardless of whether he was going to be there or not. Cool. All right. Well, Charles, thank you very much for that question, especially we love, Gerard, I know you love the international questions. All the way from China. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's cool. China. I mean, Beijing, that's ooh, that's a far away. That's, that's out there to be following USCfootball.com. But, hey, I mean, I guess that's that's where the site really comes in big, when you're able to be far away and you're detached from the university and the program. But, you know, uh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, we love it. We love the questions. If you have any questions, you could be in the United States or anywhere in the world, podcast at USCfootball.com is our email address. We have one more question for you. Gerard, this one's from Jack. What is the difference between Pete's philosophy on recruiting early in his tenure versus last year? And was Pete still 100% focused on recruiting? How would you compare the vigor of Kiffin's current staff the way Pete Carroll's staff ended their recruiting careers? It is different. I think the way Pete Carroll and the staff started, and you have to remember, Lane Kiffin and Ed Ergeron were both on that staff. Yeah. Uh, it was much more aggressive. Um, I think with time, obviously, uh, you become a little more comfortable with certain avenues of recruiting. Um, you learn, and sometimes that takes away a little bit of your aggressiveness. Uh, I think that uh, this staff as we've seen thus far with 2010 and already in the 2011, because there's uh, a few national offers already out there um, more than I, I know a lot more than we would have seen um, with the current staff was, uh, or I should say the past staff was still the current staff uh, with Pete Carroll. Um, at this point, you know, Lane Kiffin's staff is definitely going out there being more aggressive. And I think it has a lot to do with just, you know, wanting to prove something. Uh, this is a staff that while at Tennessee did some good things and, and had you or had Tennessee, to see on the rise, but still has not proven to be a conference championship level team, a BCS level team. Uh, they recruited like crazy and did some great things this past year, uh, but they also had 14 commitments already in the bag to work with. Granted, they had to do a lot of work to be able to get those guys solidified and make sure that they kept those 14, and I don't think that can be overlooked. But I think they want to they wanna make their own mark, and they feel like this at SC, this is a national recruiting power. It's been a national recruiting power, and they really, really want to accentuate that. I think early on you get the feel that they're going to go anywhere regardless of where a kid is if they feel he's a good player. And that's always kind of been – the motto, but I think USC had gotten away from it a little bit. I think they felt like certain areas of the country, um, just like I said, weren't necessarily welcoming to USC, and they didn't want to spin their wheels in those parts of the country. I don't think this staff cares. I don't think this staff uh, necessarily has any preconceived notions. If they see a kid on film and they like him, they're going to offer him, they're going to go after him hard, and they're going to go after him hard. I mean, it's a definite uh, sales job and their excitement and their enthusiasm about individual kids, I think is always already really showing through. Uh, and you get that from the, you know, just the, the prospects end of things. Um, when they talk to coach Ergeron or, or they talk to Monty Kiffin or they talk to some of these coaches, um, it's, it's definitely seems to be one of those things where just that enthusiasm, that aggressiveness, that hunger to prove, Hey, you know what? we've got a lot of guys here that are great recruiters and we feel like we can come out and we can put together an awesome class and then have that show up on the field. 
but there's still a little bit of that they have to prove it. And and that's out there. You know, I think that uh, the other Pac-10 teams are, are definitely going to say things and say, you know, uh, I think even Rick Neuheisel already made a comment about, uh, you know, until Lane Kiffin proves otherwise, uh, you know, the 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 power is equal or it has shifted a little bit and become more balanced in Los Angeles now. And uh, it's, it's an interesting, you know, take. Obviously, USC is still USC, but he feels like that regime is gone and that now that Lane Kiffin is there, he has to kind of start uh, on a clean slate a little bit. And I think that, more than anything, they, the new staff relishes that. They're, I think they're excited about that clean slate and that, you know, the perceived notion because USC struggled last year and didn't have a great year is that they have to rebuild and they have to start something new. And I think that's what they want. I think that's what they're embracing right now. I, I agree with you, Gerard. And it, you can't knock anything of what Pete Carroll did. I mean, he was a tenacious recruiter and, uh, you know, having guys like Kiffin and Orgeron on the staff – but nine years is nine years, and it's a long time. And it did look different in year nine than it did in year three or four or even one. You know, it, it just seems to be a difference there. But make no mistake about it. I mean, this staff is hitting the ground running. It took them a little while to get some of the, uh, you know, recruits that weren't already committed to commit. But they got enough guys and enough five-star guys on the last day or two that they vaulted all the way up to number one in the rivals' rankings. And it just seems to have kind of rejuvenated the whole program and with everyone we've talked to from you know different strength programs to you know the recruiting techniques and the, and the what the players are doing there just seems to be some fire again and I don't think it I don't know if it was you could blame anybody you know whose fault it would be it did just did seem to get to be kind of a routine you know and uh, no matter what you know what Pete Carroll would say or maybe you know maybe it was just harder on him too and he was thinking about going to the NFL hard to really say but some of that fire did appear to be gone and now with the new staff as excited as they are to get in there and you you could tell when they were talking about this recruiting class when Lane Kiffin did his press conference and everything I mean these guys are fired up and they're ready to go you know they already got the 2011 commit you know on signing day they wanted to get that started and kind of make a statement and just move on from there but there definitely seems to be kind of that fire and passion back that you saw early on in the Pete Carroll era the fact that they got Antoine Woods committed and that they sit in real a real pretty position for George Farmer, who's you know uh, probably the number one receiver on the West Coast. He's probably going to be one of the top three receivers in the nation. Um, you know, a five-star caliber type guy. Uh, DeAnthony Thomas, who's maybe one of, if not the best player in California, another five-star caliber guy. Um, you know, they're going to be much more in the mix with Crenshaw players, um, having broken that pipeline a little bit with Hayes Pullard, uh, who is a huge get in a lot of ways. I think first and foremost, obviously being a linebacker, that was big because they need a linebacker depth. And a lot of people just, they were not in the mix. I mean, people thought he's going to UCLA. He's a lock for UCLA. And, uh, I mean, literally a, a few days before signing day, um, you know, we started hearing he's going to go to USC. And that was significant because Hayes Pullard is a good player and he comes in in his neat position, but also he is one of the first in a long, long time of Crenshaw Cougars who's actually going to be sporting Cardinal and Gold instead of some form of blue, whether it be 
cow golden bear blue or Bruin baby blue. Uh, he's going to be playing at SC now, and DeAnthony Thomas is very close with Hayes Pollard. And obviously Hayes' decision is Hayes' decision, and it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you know DeAnthony is automatically going to end up going to USC. But it definitely opens the door a little bit, and it gives uh, USC just a, a much easier avenue to recruit and have the attention of DeAnthony Thomas. And there you have it. I mean, you have three guys right there at the beginning of the class that could be, you know, top five players in California. And we talk about the national recruits of being aggressive nationally. I think the staff also realizes that they have to be aggressive locally and not necessarily waste time on guys that they like and, and going after those guys and securing what, you know, what happens in their backyard. Because uh, let's face it, you know, some of the most significant players that USC had had um, in their championship runs uh, have been California players, you know, those Heisman Trophy winners. Those guys are from California, and you have to build your program around those guys. Uh, it's great to cherry-pick national talent, um, but California is a heck of a state when it comes to the talent, and you look at the numbers NFL-wise, uh, that's – is still the number one state when it comes to uh, you know NFL draft picks in the last six years. So um, I think when you have those kind of guys and you feel like that's the foundation of the class already and you can start to build off of that, um, you're headed in a good direction. So uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. It's a it's a long year and um, there's already you know a lot of talk of guys leaning here and guys leaning there. But we've learned that uh, you know they can lean away and for the night before signing day. So. Um, yeah. Talking about you know where they're going now is is a little bit presumptuous. Completely correct. There's guys change their mind at the very last second. Some guys make a decision a year and a half ahead of time and stick with it. So it all depends. I mean, we're talking about 16, 17, 18 year old kids. But one of those young kids that to me was kind of the key to the class. And maybe you, maybe I'm wrong, but I want to get your opinion on this. You know, if you watch the you were down there for the Army All American game, uh, San Antonio, Texas. All heck's breaking loose. You know, the rumors of Pete Carroll leaving for the NFL and who's going to be the next coach at USC. you got all these committed kids and kids that were going to commit, uh, you know, rumored to wanting to commit to USC at the, at the Army game, and they're going to do it on national television. Not really sure what's going on. They took a committed picture, like, days before, like, at practice, but, you know, that was before they, they heard all the Pete Carroll stuff that was going on. And then there's Demetrius Wright. And, uh... He's supposed to make his commitment live on television. He was going to pick USC. Now there's no coach. Doesn't know what's going on. Hasn't heard from anybody. He goes on and still picks USC, even with all the uncertainty and stuff going on. And to me, that just seemed to solidify things in a lot of the other recruits' minds. You got guys like you know, Dylan Baxter down there freaking out and Kyle Prater. And guys weren't really sure what was going on. You know, were they going to decommit? They were supposed to enroll early. There was all this uncertainty and it just seemed that everyone kind of lost their minds a little bit. Demetrius Wright, for whatever reason, is like, I want to be a Trojan. And I thought a lot of the USC fans are going to rally around him in this class because he kind of took a step where no one else was, was walking. You know, he, he went out on his own, decided he was going to pick USC no matter what. And it seemed to kind of pave the way for some of these other guys to say, you know what, I still want to go to USC. It was the school I wanted to go to, not Pete Carroll. Am I completely off base here? Does that kind of make sense to what, you know, what I'm talking about? No, it was definitely a statement. Um, and I was there. It was a very unique situation to be there uh, with the players in San Antonio when this was all happening. And I was, you know, sitting down and, and kind of on the phone and, and talking with a bunch of different people trying to figure out, you know, 
how serious this was because I talked to some of the recruits and they were convinced very early on in the process of uh, the rumors that Pete Carroll was gone. And they were confident. I think maybe confident because they couldn't get a hold of anybody. There was nobody squashing the rumor straight away. So I'm sitting there and I'm on the phone and Demetrius Wright walked in. And Demetrius is on the phone with somebody. He sits down next to me. And, um, you know, I'm listening to him, and he's talking, and he's talking, and he's talking, and he gets off the phone. And, uh, you know, I say, hey, how's it going? He says, man, that's crazy. I said, uh, who are you talking to, your mom? No, nah, that was Coach Brennan. And it was Brennan Carroll he was talking to. And uh, I said, so what did he say? Because really at that point, very few of the recruits that were committed to USC had even heard from the coaching staff, uh, any of the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, you know, I just said that, you know, he doesn't really know what's going on and, and just talked about it, you know, briefly what the discussion was. And I said, well, you know, how do you feel about it? I mean, what's your, what's your feeling on this whole thing? And um, he was torn at that point. You know, I, I knew he was wanting to go to USC. We had actually talked about him committing to USC uh, in a few days, even weeks before that. And then DJ Morgan came in and, and sat down next to us too. And, you know, just listen to those guys talk about it and talk about, you know, what, where their head was at at that point and, and being very skeptical about what was going on and, and not having any answers. And I think that was, you know, more than knowing Pete Carroll was going and being worried about who the next coach was. It was more about not knowing what was going on and not really having any real answers and feeling a little bit, um, I, I guess, deceived that in a way so um he at that point the night before actually announcing told me i don't think i'm gonna announce and dj morgan had kind of kind of talked to him and said you know you probably shouldn't announce you know really you should wait like i'm not even sure what i'm gonna do i'm already committed to usc and to be honest with you i don't know what to make of the situation and so you know demetrius and and he are talking and and it kind of seemed like demetrius wasn't going to do it so Next morning, around 8.30, 9 o'clock, I get a call from somebody who just talked to the people at NBC, and the NBC people who were putting together the commitment list uh, for the game and the announcements, uh, they talked to Demetrius, and Demetrius decided, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to commit, and I knew he was going to commit to USC. I knew then that he was definitely still going to go with USC. It was just a matter of was he actually – going to go through with it and feel comfortable enough to make that announcement. And he did. And he and Robert Woods during that game were overt in their commitment to USC. They were, you know, throwing up the fight on and and throughout it. And and even still at that point, a lot of the other guys like Dylan Baxter and DJ Morgan were just not sure. They just weren't sure about getting in and any pictures and and throwing up the fight on. And, And those two guys, I think, so you have to put Robert Woods also in there. We're just, um, we're just, they were just confident in their decision, and I think that played a big part. And I think also finally getting in with Kyle Prater and being able to solidify that commitment was a huge factor as well, because that was a kid coming from out of state who was enrolling early, and you know that could have gone a lot of different ways. And Kyle was one of the ones that was probably the most angry about that situation, and you know he been already set to enroll, had his furniture, all his stuff already moved out to USC ahead of him. He was supposed to go from San Antonio to Los Angeles that weekend, and the rug was literally pulled from under him. And he was uh, upset about that, and I think 
the fact that he was able to kind of come back and, and talk to the staff and he had taken that visit to, to Tennessee. So he had known Lane Kiffin and he'd known the coaching staff. And when he was able to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm still going to go to USC. I'm going to enroll early. Uh, that was definitely another big moment, um, a turning point, I think in the, in the class and be able to get those, those guys in. And, this is all going to be interesting to see how this class actually plays on the field and how they go through their four years at USC because we're all going to remember these points of, you know, Demetrius Wright, you know, that night that he changed his mind and decided, you know, I'm uncertain, but I'm going to go with it anyways and I'm going to commit to USC even though they don't have a, a head coach, you know, to Robert Woods being there and being supportive and saying, you know what, I'm going to commit to USC unless they bring in a coach that runs the wing tee uh, to, you know, <laughs> Kyle Prater uh, turning around and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave Chicago and I'm going to go all the way out west and because I believe, you know, Lane Kiffin's going to, going to really have something special and have USC back on the rise. I think all those, those moments and, and those kids specifically – it's the kind of stuff that you do build championship teams out of. We'll see if that happens. Uh, it'll be interesting, you know, kind of sub-story uh, throughout the four years uh, as we go along and we watch these kids play. All right. Well, we're, we've gone really long in this segment, but there's two guys that aren't yet signed in this class. I wanted to maybe we could end on a quick note on Santrell Henderson and Marcus Jackson. What, what do you think? Uh, Marquise Jackson looks like he's in the process of um, he was just gathering some of his grades from the winter um, session and when he took uh, a few classes in between. It's like a, it's a really short session. It's like uh, December and a little bit of January um, where they get in a couple classes. It sounds like he did pretty good in that session, and that should help uh, his overall GPA and, and get the units that he needs to get um, to be able to enroll in June. So he's still 100% committed. Uh, talked to him the other night, and it just seems like he's just got to get his paperwork together, be able to send that to USC so USC can send out his letter of intent, which should happen um, sometime this week. Uh, with Chantrell Henderson, he's still in wait mode. Spoke to his dad in depth about uh, the various rumors and kind of uh, how that situation of committing to USC uh, on signing day, but not necessarily signing, how that all played out. You can see that, uh, that, that full interview and story on USCfootball.com. Um, but for right now, you know, he's just waiting and seeing. He wants to kind of get a little more information that's going to come from the NCAA meeting uh, that they'll have with uh, USC, uh, which is going to be, I think, uh, February 19th through the 21st. And that's going to be a private meeting, and there's not going to be anything publicly uh, disseminated in terms of, you know, the findings or, or, you know, what USC thinks will happen. But the family feels like there'll probably be enough that leaks that people will get a good idea of where the NCAA is headed and kind of the direction they want to go, whether USC is going to get, you know, hit with uh, anything severe like, uh, you know, no TV or can't go to bowls or, you know, if it's an issue with scholarships. They just want to figure out what the severity of uh, any penalties, if there are penalties, would be. And so they're taking their time and, and they're just waiting to see on it. People have to be patient. I know you, a lot of USC fans feel like, man, this, this thing has gone on too long. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, but, but it's the way it goes. I mean, it's, it's part of, uh, the process. It's, you know, a lot of people don't understand that signing day is the first day that you could sign a letter of intent. It's not the last day. And I think that's something that the NCAA, speaking of which, needs to change. You know, I think you're going to see more and more of this where kids are, are just kind of string along the process where, you know, I think Chantrell has a, has a valid excuse for doing it. I think there's other kids that probably in the future will do it just to do it. And there needs to be an actual signing period, which is probably two weeks. Um, you know, no, no more than that, because at this point you could basically go to, to April and not sign a letter of intent. And that's, 
you know, kind of stringing along a little too much. Um, if that happens with Chantrell, uh, we don't know right now. But uh, I asked his father just, you know, briefly if, if there are no real findings, if there's no results that come about from that meeting, if um, there's nothing conclusive and it's just more conjecture and speculation, which, you know, there's going to be a lot of conjecture and speculation, uh, I can almost assure you, because, you know, other schools are going to be recruiting him as this process plays out and they're going to say things. And, you know, they, it, it, if there's nothing public put out there uh, between, you know, late February and April, well, you know, no news, people are going to make up their own news. Uh, but, if they still can't feel comfortable with, you know, what they hear from USC or at least the vibe, then it's going to be a gut feeling for Chantrell. And uh, he remains committed to USC. Um, what what his gut feeling <laughs> says in April, I couldn't even begin to tell you, project, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Like I said, this is a kid that uh, he committed to USC on signing day and, and still hasn't signed. So, you know, it's if you, if you can't project, uh, if you can't be assured of that, you know, you can't really be assured of anything uh, in the process. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see he how it committed on I, national I think, television. So, I mean, you committed on yeah. signing day on national television and hasn't signed. So that that's as inside of a source as you need, and it's still not 100%. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's that's just the way things are um, nowadays. I, I think, you know, I mean, verbal commitments are basically another way of saying, hey, you know what, this school is a really good shot at this kid. Um, and that's about it. I think you can't really necessarily call a kid in the bag um, and and say, oh, he's locked up. I mean, that, that word lock, I've never used that word, but I mean, nowadays, anybody to even use that word on, on any kid in any situation, just it's, 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 you can't do it. it. You just look like a fool because these kids, they do change their minds. And, and it's kind of the nature uh, of the process. You know, it's um, the, the recruiting process has kind of created that beast a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it probably needs to be reeled in or there needs to be kind of a, a different, uh, a, maybe take a step back and take a different approach to how we label kids as commitments or, or, you know, with, with this, the verbiage of the process, I think needs to be updated as the process, uh, it, it develops over the years, you know, with the internet and everything, we're still talking about kids with the same verbiage as we used, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And obviously this process has changed. And I think it's, uh, it's unfortunately it's almost become misleading nowadays to call kids commitments and and things like that i mean that word committed the, the definition of that word doesn't really um fit with you know the way kids are taking it and, and you know the way it's going just like you know scholarship offers anymore with kids uh, with with schools you know there's a lot of scholarships offers but there's different kind of scholarship offers now there are verbal scholarship offers which are a lot different than written scholarship offers and you know I think a lot of people don't necessarily put that out there and, and distinguish the difference. And I try to now because I know that, you know, verbal scholarship offer can come and go. It's, uh, it, you know, it's there and then maybe it's not there. And, you know, the difference between that and actually something in writing um, says, you know, how much more uh, a school likes a kid. And so all those kind of things, it's, it's, a, it's another can of worms. It's, we probably could talk about that for another two hours. <laughs> Um, but that's but that's the way we sit, and, and that's why Chantrell Henderson will wait and see what happens with him. Well, Gerard, thank you so much. Recruiting has never been more crazy, more dynamic, more stuff going on, and you still somehow keep on top of all of it. You do an amazing job. Def- definitely check them out on uscfootball.com. No one does it better. Thanks, Gerard, for all your time, and uh, thanks for ever- answering everyone's questions. No problem. Hey, thanks, and 
uh, again, uh, appreciate the uh, the questions from Beijing. Keep those international questions coming. We know you guys need the coverage, so uh, it's it's great to hear that uh, you know you're on top of it, and and hopefully the the site is a resource for SE fans globally. We love it. We love that. All right. Thanks again, Gerard. Hey, everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk with Brian Fisher, talk a little about the USC football team. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have a special guest, Brian Fisher, a contributor to uscfootball.com, is joining us. What's up, Brian? How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Ryan. How about you? Everything's pretty good, pretty good. And I know we've got thousands of emails about where's Dan Wykey. Uh No, actually, we didn't get any, but poor, don't tell that to Dan, Brian, because I know he'd be very sad. Uh, Dan uh, was our beat writer for the last year and a half, two years or so, and moved on to the Orange County Register. And he's going to be covering the Angels there, so you can check out the OC Register. He'll be now covering the Angels. He's moved on from uh, covering USC. And uh, Brian's been stepping up his game and uh, helping out the site quite a bit, so we appreciate that, Brian. Thanks for all the help. No problem. Uh, love covering USC. And uh, very, very interesting the past few months, definitely, uh, uh, covering the Trojans for the site. Yeah, Dan left at a very strange time where things are so different right now. And uh, you've been down to several of the off-season workouts and the players. You know, right now, so if people don't know, coaches can't be coaching the players. I mean, you can have meetings and stuff, but the, the contact between coaches and players is very limited at this point, except for strength and conditioning. And uh, new strength and conditioning coach Aaron Osmus came over. Uh, he was with Coach Orgeron at Old Miss. Uh, he was with uh, Lane Kiffin and Orgeron at Tennessee. He's back at USC now, or he, he's at USC now, um, taking over the strength program. And I guess we could start with that. Uh, you get to talk to some of these guys. You've been down to some of the workouts. It's a little different right now than what was going on with Chris Carlo, who has been in the program for nine years. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I've noticed, I guess, is, is there's definitely been a, more of an emphasis on the weight training and, um, you know, that part of the off-season work than years past because, you know, you know, you know, for several years, you, you know, see the guys out there for an, you know, an hour, hour and a half even, you know, doing cone drills and you know, out on the Howard Jones or out on the track uh, field at Cromwell and, and just kind of running and doing agility drills and whatnot. And really the past couple workouts, they haven't been doing that under Aaron Osmus. Yes, they've been out there, you know, doing some agility drills and whatnot, but they you know, almost uh, assuredly go back into the weight room and, and work out a lot longer, uh, you know, in the basement of Heritage Hall than they do outside uh, doing all those agility drills. So that's kind of been the biggest change. And, you know, several players have, have said that, you know, they're excited uh, for the new, you know, workout regime and the changes that Osmus has uh, implemented. Um, they definitely think that, you know, he's going to be able to get everybody stronger. Um, I know several of the offensive linemen I, I bumped into, they've all said, 
you know, oh, I, you know, they expect, you know, very big things uh, from uh, the off season and going into spring. And, you know, I, I think in general, everything's been very positive uh, on, on the front with Aaron Osmus returning. And, you know, a lot of these guys don't remember him being at USC, but, you know, he was there right at the beginning under Pete Carroll and, um, you know, he cranked out a lot of NFL talent and really built a lot of big guy, you know, big time guys up. And so I think there, everybody's really excited at what he might be able to bring to the program. No, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, Coach Orgeron was really close to him and, and, and appreciated what he could do. And I think Coach O knows better than anybody that you need to get these guys in shape. You get at the good athletes and you get them in the best shape possible. It's different. Like you said, uh, we saw Kyle Moore come back and uh, he talked. I mean, a lot of people love Chris Carlisle and, and he's a great guy. Player, NFL players would come back and work out with him. But the NFL workouts were kind of different. And uh, Kyle Moore came back and was absolutely jacked, like above the waist. Just really a lot more powerful looking than he was. And he's like, you know, it's, he goes, I felt that we were in, in great running shape when it came to the fourth quarter, but he wasn't quite as strong as he felt he needed to be in the NFL. So besides it just being a kind of a different philosophy, which you can say works or doesn't work in certain ways, you know, who, it, who, you know who's to say? We're going to have to wait and see what happens. It's a different philosophy. Just the fact that it's new and it's something a little different, I think the players have responded to that. I completely agree. I think the amount of change has been so drastic around the program that, you know, sometimes, you know, other players might have gone into shell shock, but everybody I've talked to has been, you know, extremely fired up, especially the guys on offense, Coach Kiffin coming back, and then you talk with some of the guys on defense, like the linebacking core or the defensive line. They cannot wait to get out there during the spring and talking with Monty Kiffin or Joe Barry or Coach Odron, any of those guys have, have really, uh, they're really just kind of, you know, like a little giddy schoolgirl. you know, they're kind of, all right, when can we get out there and, and put the pads on and, and go after everything? And, and it definitely applies with, with uh, Coach Osmos and the strength coach because, you know, yeah, there's some familiarity. Uh, Brian Bailey's still around and, and uh, he's well-liked well with a, a lot of the guys. But um, the excitement, I guess, uh, around the program from the player standpoint, um, as far as the new staff coming in, uh, I, I haven't seen any anything. And I've been, you know, covering USC for you know various media outlets for about four years now, and, and it's really um, kind of getting back to the excitement, I guess, that you know there was around the program, the, the media intensity, um, you know, kind of back when. They were winning national championships, and I think that's always the goal at USC and certainly high standards. But um, I think everybody believes they've kind of self-corrected with you know the big changes in the coaching staff, and they're well on their way to, to, to going back and competing for Pac-10 titles. And one of the ways they're going to be able to do that, some of the new recruits coming in, we got to see uh, after those strength workouts, players can work out on their own. Uh, their players only work out, senior practices, whatever you want to call them. No coaches can be there. Um, you can't have a football out and the coaches and the players in the same place in the offseason. There's strict NCAA rules. But, you know, what happens? The, co- the, the quarterbacks will come out, organize a practice a couple days a week whenever they can get it out there, throw the football around, maybe do some seven-on-seven. Seven. We got to see some of those workouts this year. A lot of them actually have been canceled because of rain. But you know, we got to see guys like Kyle Prater, uh, five-star receiver, Dylan Baxter, five-star athlete coming in. What have you thought of some of the new guys that we got to see on the field uh, with Mitch Mustaine and John Manugan throwing the ball to them? It seemed like really impressive for true freshmen. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you look, you just take one look at Kyle Prater and, and you immediately just say, wow, uh, you know, just based physically on how he is, you know, just coming in, uh, you know, just, I guess, 17, 18 years old and physically ready to play the college game. Um, you know, I was impressed uh, when he came to one of the practices in the fall and I was like, you know, wow, if they could get this guy, he, you know, could definitely fill the role that, you know, Dwayne Jarrett, Mike Williams has kind of filled as, a, you know, that tall, big, physical wide receiver on the outside uh, that would allow guys, you know, like like a Ronald Johnson or a Bryce Butler to, to maybe, you know, go free uh, in certain rounds. And uh, I've been really impressed at not only his hands, because he, he really catches anything that's within his grasp, but uh, his body control and how he uh, quickly goes out and grabs the ball, tucks it away, and, you know, he's kind of a long strider, so he's, you know, I guess you would say deceptively fast. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a, a 4-2 guy, but, you know, he, he's very fast and he can definitely run away from defensive backs. And I think he makes it a great addition to the offense uh, and, and really could uh, challenge her playing times from day one just because of his size and add to the fact that he's coming in in the spring learning the system. Uh, will give him a huge boost. We saw last year with Matt Barkley how he was able to pick it up so well and start as a true freshman. I, I could easily see the same thing ha- happening with Kyle Prater just because, you know, Bryce Butler, I think, uh, could definitely play on the outside, but uh, he might be better suited to a slot receiver, especially teaming him with Ronald Johnson. Um, you just don't know how uh, Lane Kiffin wants to set up his wide receivers, but you got to figure that Kyle Prater could be that solid guy based on his size on the outside and uh, a guy that, you know, Matt Barkley should love throwing it up to, uh, you know, in the end zone. All right. Well, Brian, unfortunately, we uh, we're good. We're good. we don't want to make our podcast too long. I know people don't mind when they're a little over an hour, but we're going on an hour and 20 minutes now, so we'll probably have to uh, cut it short. But we'll have you on for sure in the, the coming weeks talking about the uh, off-season workouts and what's been going on with the team as everything leads up to spring ball. But uh, thanks for joining us. No problem. Uh, I'm sure we'll be on uh, in the next couple of weeks because there's plenty to talk about, talk about with this program. For sure. We'll talk to you next week, definitely. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristel Podcast. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.